I'm having my one. Hello and welcome to the Sis A Stan episode of the Yaha Min Enna podcast. We've gone all Viking this episode, or Norwegian anyway. I did try to look at Icelandic instead, but if I just butchered the pronunciation of Norwegian, which seems very, very likely. I wasn't even going to try Icelandic. Anyway, at 8.16, the Vikings raided the Kingdom of Munster in Ireland. And on this 16th episode, I am joined by my good Ven, Neil. Hermardu. And it so happens that 16 is also the atomic number of sulphur, which is most famous for smelling like rotten eggs. So I'm really pleased to also be joined by Paul. Yeah. This episode, we'll be talking about the game we just played, Blood Rage, plus all our usual goodness. In the meantime, grab your best axe and your clean pillaging trousers, because we're about to get Ragnarokked. Okay, so we've just played Blood Rage. So this is a game from 2015 by Eric Lang. Uh, it was part of the, a series that's now expanded to several other games we may got on and talk or get on and talk about. It's from Cool Mini or Not, who I think is a more commonly known these days, Simon Games. The game is set in the Viking Age. We've got uh, a map board in front of us, lots of different areas, and a ton of very good-looking minis of warriors, longboats, oh, yeah. mythic creatures from North Legend. It's certainly they're living up to their name in, in the quality of the minis right on this one. Um, the game is played over a series of three ages. Players are controlling a Viking clan, aiming to get the most glory points through placing their minis on the board, recruiting monsters, controlling those areas, uh, upgrading your clan stats, and even losing units in battle after a quick trip to Valhalla and back. Paul, what do you think about this one? I think it's brilliant. It's one that... I think all of us have tried before and didn't quite get on with. And we've come back and looked at it and yeah, it just works really well, doesn't it? It's something that we both said, Neil, before we started playing is that <laughs> I don't know how to quite put this without sounding, sounding like a bit of an ass, but like that with our now superior knowledge of board games and how to play uh, different mechanics and so on, we, we, got in you know could see more in this game than when i actually used to own it five plus years ago and mm. i remember that we all tried to play it i was this is yeah i certainly hadn't played anywhere near as many board games as we played now and it was like it was fun and it was vikings but but looking like even even looking through the rules again recently i was yeah. i said to you just before we started playing i said i think this is i think this is much better than we remember it being mm. uh and i wasn't mistaken i really really enjoyed it did you? Yeah. Okay. So first impression is is loved it. Yeah. First, yeah. first impression is loved it. I I massively goofed it up. Uh, I did not have a good day at the office today. Um, but I had a great time. It was good fun. But this was a game for us. Some of the games that we've played um, more recently uh, into these podcasts have been games that we've been reasonably familiar with. This is the first time in a little while that we've tried a new game which is a complicated or let's say semi-complicated new game i know we've yeah. done village rails i know we tried that weird fishing game but this <laughs> is uh this is something that's that's a step up from those right yeah it's there's there's more going on to it um there's obviously you know the sort of card drafting element at the start of the game you know there's a bit of tactical where you're placing your minis how the combat works so yeah it's it's much more involved than say something like village rails or fleet where it's just a short card game. Mm -hmm. But actually once you've got your head around it, it's not overly complicated. 
Right. And this is this is something that I think looking back on it, <laughs> why I found it quite so challenging to get my head around the rules of it. I don't know, because those things that you're doing are really simple and it's all you know, quite nicely labelled, right? That you have your player board and it says, look, yeah. these are the different actions. What are there? Five, I think, five different actions that you can take. Yeah. It's all nice and clear what you're doing. Um, you you know, yeah. you've got uh, those on the player board. You go through these different sections of the game. It's all fairly clear or as you're passing through those different bits. There's a little symbol that says, okay, now you're here. Now, you know, you do all that section. Now you move on to that. Even if some of those are quite short uh, as you're moving through those eras, um, the three areas that I mentioned, it's it's all really clear. So <laughs> what we struggled with this before, I don't yeah. know. It is clear, but there are lots of little elements that make up the game and they're all then slightly different. So right. as you say, you've got your, your five player actions and then you've got kind of your end of age set of things that you've got to do. Hmm. And, and they're all slightly different mechanics, slightly different ways of playing them. So I guess... It's one of those when you're trying to get your head around the rules. You know, we talk about simple games that are easy to pick up, like Quacks, where it's like, right, start doing this. It is one where you kind of have to explain a lot of the little bits that are going on. So you've got to take a lot of information, however simple all of those might be, but you're taking in lots of different elements in one go. Right. I kind of immediately want to reset and go again because I feel like I understand it more now than... Mm. Um, than I did previously. Mm. Who's this game for? Do you think? Like who? Who's aimed at what sort of level? I think middle, middle tier. Yeah, mid range. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good four player game. It's not particularly long. It's you know, it's a, it's a Wednesday night games night. You can play a game of that and something else probably in your evening. Mm. Um, yeah, hour, hour and a half to play. I think we were slightly longer on the longer side, but I think getting our heads around it a bit. So comparable with what is it? Are we talking this is kind of wingspan level or are we uh, in terms yeah. of complexity or, or a bit simpler maybe? Uh, no, I think probably on par with something like wingspan. Like mm. I, I loved it when you compared it with wingspan. I couldn't remember the Ragnarok element uh, when the birds will start <laughs> <laughs> dive bombing one another. <laughs> it's when the, the, at the end of the era, the wetlands blow up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that so, is a game I want to see. So then we get straight into, has anyone played any of the others in the series, which I haven't looked up, but from memory, this is the this is the whole Blood Rage, Kemet, and what's the other one, Ankh? I don't no, think it's Kemet. No, Kemet is more in the Inish kind of side of things. The... Oh, that's it. Sorry, yeah, Inish, Kemet, and um, something else. What's the other ones in this series? I think it's Rising Sun, isn't it? Yeah, and that's the Samurai one, right? <laughs> think so let me just have a look quickly but yeah yeah they're all in, in, a, it, in a series basically aren't they you've got an encyclopedic memory for these things tom i'm telling you just call me the board game geek you're the board game geek Thank yeah you. your wife often does <laughs> yeah so it's part of the, the series and, and Ankh was the one that came out last year which sort of has the big i think um egyptian yeah uh pyramid as part of it as well and this this is one something about this game we've talked a little bit about it plastic good plastic not good what do we think first of all about the minis it's, it's part of what this company does of course yeah um but what what do we think about the um the minis that it's uh it's using 
they they look excellent the the sculpts are really well done i think they've they've really gone into that norse mythology and there's the sort of extra uh, monsters you can upgrade and uh, bring into your clan are brilliant and i think they all look really good and they're really different from one another it's not like you've just got a whole board of the same looking things Definitely. Yeah, I think mean, they, they made a real effort in the way in which those are the different monsters that you can recruit are different. Yeah, but also all the different factions are different as well, right? So every single faction has its own little sculpt of those warriors that is a little bit different. There's some that are you might call them a little bit uh, 2023 problematic in terms of the scantily uh, clad um, Viking women. But um, it's hard to get away from that sometimes in board games. Yeah, you know, yeah. but they're, but they're, we feel that adds that to, adds adds quite a bit to what's going on here, do we? Yeah, it definitely looks looks good on the table. Um, I don't think it's one that I'd ever be bothered to paint, but no, no but I bet there. people must have right and look and they look incredible. But yeah, looking at some of the the painted uh, images that are on Board Game Geek, they yeah. they look fantastic. Mm. It's just the same though. Looking at looking, sorry to interrupt, but right. looking again, I'm just quickly pulling up Rising Sun and Ank on on my screen, and they're both just these giant piles of what I'm assuming were once Kickstarters of like boxes and boxes and boxes. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, I don't know. Like I'm I'm really going off expansions for stuff at the moment, and I just kind of want stuff to be in the box and then to play the game and then to put it on the shelf and and then not really bother having to like keep coming back to it again and again for extra yeah. extra unlocks but so i think i think i think i could easily see myself getting um blood rage if it was you know going for a good price and i could think i could see myself getting rising sun or ank if they're along the similar ink similar ilk but i wouldn't have any interest in having like a whole cube of my calax devoted to it even new it's reasonably priced i think it's going around the 70 pound mark new um right which for those minis is good i think for for what you get in the box i mean i I suppose you're paying for the minis and the details of those sculpts because actually if you consider the complexity of the game and things if it was cardboard standees then what 30 40 40 quid game maybe Hmm. so i was gonna say is the game any better if it's cheaper with either cardboard or wooden meeples i think you would lose something i remember from having this the the game um that it's always beautifully presented in very high production quality in it in the way in which the um you know you're unpacking the box and you've got your different minis and so on it kind of gets you i think a bit more in in the zone of it and i think i would compare it to something like dead of winter sorry it uses the cardboard standees and the art's quite good in that game but actually I do think it kind of misses something. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that it's not always true. And I think that plastic is going to make a game better. But having those minis in, uh, that's a sense of scale. I think you get with them as well. That you put the massive giants, whatever they are, on that are just huge on the board. Um, it does add a bit of fun to it. And I think that's the sort of game that it's trying to be. Right? It's not trying to be serious game or I compared it a bit to Wingspan, which I think some people could feel that Wingspan is quite dry. Uh, 
you know, almost like a parallel play game in some ways. This is just, it's not far away from what you describe as a beer and pretzels game, really, right? That it is just a bit of fun, area control, um, dudes on the map kind of thing, move them around, control this, have a little fight. Oh, you know, surprise card, off they go. And I think probably for me, that sort of game kind of needs to have something a bit ridiculous, a bit silly in, in it uh, like those. And it's a li- Nemesis is a little bit like that as well, I think. Yeah, so that, you... that was my comparison, actually, was it? That I was, okay. was going to come to, was, you know, when you especially when you start bring, bringing out the, the big alien minis, you know, the big mm. numbers and stuff, it, it looks amazing on the table. And, and I think it kind of adds to the theme. Yeah. I mean, I think if I had Blood Rage, we talked in previous ones about accessories and things like that. Do you mm. know that the number one accessory, if we had Blood Rage, is I would buy a set of drinking horns. <laughs> yeah. like but but it's it's that sort of game isn't it you want to yeah. be sat there with your drinking horn you know a couple of braids in your beard and lashings of ale or mead or whatever yeah, yeah. it is the perfect wednesday night game for us hmm. is it interesting enough though is it is it something that could you picture yourself we just played it and had a good time. And we said, look, we won't play again. But can you pitch yourself actually seeing much longevity and, and replayability with this? I think I can because it's not as spiteful as things like Root. So I don't think it's going to put people off in the same way. Yeah. Um, and I think that especially because it's not like it's not a heavy game. So it's definitely the sort of thing that if we were just staring at the shelf thinking, oh, what to play, I think I'd easily be drawn to it. I, I think it does have a good amount of longevity. I think you you could sit down, play this with kind of any group of friends, really, that are kind of into their board games. And and I think it, it just becomes, as you say, that fun kind of beer and pretzel evening. You know, I, I think the three of us, we all quite like a, a heavy, dry Euro but there are times when you, you know you just need something a bit yeah a i bit think that's more true. lighthearted and um, why can't i plan out how my uh, my viking longship is going to be built first and build an engine that gets me the wood to be able to build that first maybe we need to have like a viking knight and play some uh, feast for odin and then <laughs> yeah. but we could we could just start with a a little just little aperitif with some blood rage before we uh we kick into to something a bit more weighty yeah i'm not so sure i think i maybe it's just me trying to convince myself that it was the right decision to get rid of that several years ago there's possibly always going to be a bit of that I, it's not something i'd be desperately going out there to go and put it on my shelf again i think that that's it is that it was fun to play it and if one of you guys had it you know great um but it's not something i necessarily see enough value in it is there anything that's kind of frustrated you about it? Well, i'll tell you i'm going to tell you one that frustrates me and then you can tell me what you think yeah. is that quite i remember this playing it years ago as well that having enough rage which is a currency really in the game yeah it's you spend these rage points very angry people the vikings <laughs> to uh to be completing actions on on the board so it might be uh, three rage to deploy that monster to the board. It might be one rage to to go move a group around the board, something like that. Is that there are only three opportunities to, or sorry, two opportunities to reset your rage. So you've got either three ages 
And although there is the ability to increase the rage as you go through, get more at the beginning of each of those, I kind of feel that they're just, I want a bit more, right? And it's not really like a work placement or something like that, where it, that, that old thing of kind of always, it, it's only good if you want it to kind of go on a couple more, more turns, you know? Um, I just sort of feel like, oh, I could, just maybe do with a couple more rage or something like that, a couple more of those points to yeah. be able to do more. Because when you don't have that, you can't do as much and you kind of get stuck. Now, I know there will be a better way of me being able to play it. One thing we missed out in the first two uh, eras is when you complete the quest, you can move your tokens up yeah. to increase your rage. And actually, I wonder if that would have then presented a slightly different game. Um, but I think. I just focused on the pillaging, which is where you can uh, boost your resources. So so your three resources are um, your rage, which gives you more actions. Um, and then there's ones that allow you to have more people on the map. Yeah. And then the other one is getting yourself more glory. And right from the start, I think I was just like, right, I'm just going to really try and focus on getting my rage up so mm. I can have as much as possible. Conversely, as a negative is there's no catch-up mechanic. Mm. So as we I, into, I struggled with that big time. So as we went into the third age, I had a load more rage, essentially yeah. giving me more actions than you two. I felt I was kind of ahead anyway, mm. and it was then just that sort of slow march of just trying not to mess it up. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I think and that was maybe my main it, right, sorry. was it? That's right. My main gripe really was that it just felt like you couldn't do enough quickly enough. Um, that first age was over really quickly, and um, and, and then you've lost one op- of the three opportunities that you've got to really get a lot of points. I also think that there's a lot of knowing what's good in the draft and what's not. Like I didn't keep enough combat cards. Yeah, I passed up on the high combat cards too too cheaply. Didn't it feel like there were a lot of clan upgrade cards as well? Yeah. A, lot, a lot of clan upgrades, which are... I never ended up using because I never had the rage to, to put them in. <laughs> right, exactly. I had some fantastic... And the, these are cards that you would play to then give your faction some sort of uh, uh, ability or bonus. So mine was um, whenever I returned warriors from being defeated, I'd get some extra glory points, right? So things like that. And I had some really good ones in hand but never felt I had enough rage to be able to play. I had, I had ended up having one. I had some great ones in my hand through the game. I'd only played one through the whole game. Yep. Yeah. Big time. So you've got your big minis, or your little minis, depending which ones you're using, and you've got them into a, a, a fight. Paul, just talk us through how this works. It's, it's quite a good way of, of resolving a conflict here that's a little bit different to, to where we've seen it elsewhere. Yeah, so it's combat's really simple. All of your different bits of plastic have different strength ratings, which are on the cards. You add them up, you compare the two, and then there's um, a good mechanic where you just everyone has to that is in the combat, whether they kind of want to be or not. If they've um, ended up uh, getting tied up in a battle, everyone then has to play a card face down. Now, it might just be an irrelevant card or it might be a combat card that will boost your abilities. And then it's just a case of totting up the scores and who's got the most at the end is is going to be victorious. So it's a really quick and simple way of doing combat. 
It is, and it's it's actually reasonably it's expression deterministic, right? That it's just strength of the unit uh, plus then the cards that are played. There's no random chance in there that you're doing a, a dice roll or anything, which I quite always quite like in combat mechanics. Um, but that's not to say that what we've we've got here in this game is, you know, n- not a not a, a good alternative for sure. And what's what's clever about it is, as you're playing your cards, if you lose the combat, the cards you played, you get back into your hand. Yeah, okay, I like that a lot. so maybe that's your little um, catch up mechanic, right? In in so far as it has one, is that if you lose the combat, you do have the opportunity to try not to say catch up, catch up. I, I agree. However, I took like a one pointer thinking, oh, that's going to be really useful utility wise. And actually, I would have been better off just taking a higher number. Mm. Yeah, some of some of the um, combat cards you'll play have got text on them that give you um, extra boosts on things like that. But actually, there's some quite high plus five, plus six to your combats. And however clever some of the texts are, I think they are, you know, that's you just want the big numbers right yeah yeah okay any ones yes yeah. <laughs> yeah we all had a couple like yeah. we always say learning a new game gonna get uh some of those i don't think there are any massively dramatic ones it was like putting a unit in in different ways i think at one stage neil you're asking for uh, a big old one to do with a fire fire giant reappearing or something like that weren't you but less of less of so less of asking for a one, more of just realizing that I'd that I'd done something stupid. I hadn't understood the rules that once you had those monsters in your play area, you can keep paying the strength cost to get them back so long as they're not in Valhalla. Um, so yeah, so I didn't take a one. It was just hypothetical. There aren't a lot of, although we did make some mistakes, there aren't a lot of rules to massively trip over on this. So it's just the odd gentle one where you're just putting the the unit that you did put there and you know you're putting it somewhere else. Okay. Let's come around to scores. So, Paul, what sort of score would you give Blood Rage? Now, I'm coming off the back of a big win, so I'm feeling good about myself. I'm feeling confident. <laughs> um, uh, and actually, because I didn't quite get it the first time round, mm. and then I did, I, I'm kind of feeling good. And so I'm going to give it eight. I, I thought it was a very good game. I think it was very enjoyable. I'd definitely like to play it again. Um, as you've kind of intimated, maybe the replayability isn't going to be there, but at the moment I'm I'm sitting pretty and feeling confident. And, and look, to be clear, I think that's probably me. I know that people love this game. It's a very highly thought of game. So, you know, just, just maybe me. Neil, where are you? Uh, I think I'm at seven and a half. Okay. But that's up from like five and a half slash six. So... Mm. Yeah, definitely needs more more table time for me. And I'd so, happily pick up a copy at the right price just to, to give it a few more plays. What's the right price, Neil? I'd love to, to get it around about the 45 mark. Hmm. All right. Well, um, listeners, if you have uh, <laughs> got a dusty old copy not being used on your shelf, uh, drop Neil a message. From my point of view, I think I'd give it a six. I Ooh. think that it's it's kind of below what I would say was a really enjoyable game for me it's it's fine it's okay 
It was great fine. to play it again. It was, <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, I can put my finger on it, which is why we'll never make uh, proper board game reviewers out of ourselves, or me anyway. But there's something just a little bit missing from it, I think, that I don't don't love. And there are uh, frustrations that I felt last time that maybe I'm just hanging over onto this, but felt again this time to do with the, the, the rage uh, points economy that you have going on the i don't know i just don't i don't think i'm past it so i think we'll, we'll go with the six i never the, just the say rage. a number do i i always give no. like a little speech about it that was blood rage that's what we think about it we love vikings when mixed mixed opinions on this game let's move on all right let's move into the what we've played section of the podcast Let's start this time with Neil. What have you been playing? So I uh, had a nice little, uh, another little playthrough of Skyrim. That's definitely uh, the hot game for me at the moment. But the one I wanted to just briefly chat about, uh, I've played a bunch of Hero Realms with my wife, Louise, who never uh, seems to get quoted on this podcast. <laughs> Louise, my wife, um, really, really likes this game. So this is from 2016 by Wise Wizard Games. Um, it says it's a game for two to four players, but really uh, you'd only ever want to play it at two. Yeah, right. um, um, this is my, I think this is the game that I was introduced to deck building um, via. Um, okay. So it's a very simple, like player versus player combat thing where you each start with a core set of 10 cards um, it's about you know spending the cards for you know some will some will be gold coins which will lay, allow you to buy things from the market some will be combat cards which will allow you to damage your enemy or your opponent who's got you know a finite uh, hit points you start with 50 hit points and it's just collect cards a lot of the cards have four core sets and suits that synergize with one another if you've got multiple cards from the same suits um and it's just a great one-on-one combat game um what I think um, is really, really good about this, and one of the reasons why my wife Louise um, really, really likes this is, I think it's just it's just the mechanics. It's the fun mechanic of deck building, and it's simple without being like boring. So even though the game is set in fantasy land, where we're you know we're there's orcs and elves and and like vampires and you know. It's a bit like it's a bit like D and D themed almost, just in terms of the fantasy world that it goes on. It's the sword and board, right? Um, which is just absolutely not her thing, but it's a really really fun game, and that that outweighs the theme for her. So, rock okay. on, Paul. Um, what have you been doing? So, I've played uh, with my older two kids. Uh, an older game actually came out in 1989, which is the really nasty horse racing game. Um, is something i've not played in ages but i was kind of going through my board game collection i was like oh i haven't got that out in a while so uh yeah we we played um a game with just the three of us i think it worked really well again it's just a a fun silly game there's a bit of tactics with trying to get your horse around but invariably people are gonna kind of uh make you fall off or other bad things happen with um the cards and I don't think I I, I play. I went through a stage quite a few years ago playing it quite a lot. Yeah, I like it. I slightly gone off it um, and replaced it to a certain extent in my collection with Longshot uh, Dice Game, 
Yeah, I but think Longshot is a better game. So yes, I think it is. But seeing you play it again made me think, oh, I have had some really good games with that that have been really funny. Because that moment where your horse that you've bet on goes over the line is just fantastic. But I guess what probably in, in long shot, isn't it? And I think whereas um, in long shot, you, it's just the one race, whereas yeah. nasty horse racing, you've actually got six races. So you don't always feel like you're completely out. I, my only gripe with that is that sometimes it runs a bit long. That's the only thing. I agree. I agree. I think the game is best played, actually, if you just choose four of the six races. Yeah. And I think um, when you play it full with six players, I think the the increased player count can drag out the time. I remember during the depths of lockdown and trying uh, different board games, Neil, we played a bit of um, Wingspan and uh, another bits and pieces, quite a Quedlinburg over Zoom. Yeah. I tried to do, and it wasn't completely unsuccessful, I tried to do with my family a a game of really nasty horse racing over zoom and so pointed the got it set up so the camera um from the laptop or something was pointing down towards the the board and it got everyone to, to kind of get a dice and, and bring it um to the zoom call and, and roll it uh and place their bets and so on and, and all this kind of stuff it was <laughs> it was very entertaining uh, but a little bit exhausting for me doing, you know, moving all around and trying to add a bit of drama commentary of doing my best. Oh, I need to come up on the outside and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, that was a good memory from lockdown from that game. Nice. Okay, so for me, I actually also had a game with Louise in the, uh, and Neil um, in the last week or so. We had a game of uh, Match Coro, which was really great. Um, but the game I wanted to to mention was Journeys in Middle-earth. This uh, game from 2019 from Fantasy Flight, it's an RPG in the Middle-earth kind of setting, kind of quite similar to Mansions of Madness and Imperial Assault in its mechanics in some ways. I have had a previous bad experience of this, but just this last weekend gone, I did play this with a friend and we got through five missions of it and I actually really enjoyed it. Realised uh that i had been doing fairly significant wrong but it uh it was great i had a really good time with it and i, I don't know that i'm gonna run out and grab a copy um currently boring yours paul um but you know i thought it was um it, it was so much better than than the experience i've had before um so i'm looking forward to to completing the the remaining missions on that I'm a big fan of this game and I'm quite glad you're coming around to the correct way of thinking that it is a good game. It, the only problem is that they're not providing any more content for it. Yeah. And and I think we've talked about it before. And I suppose the thing is at the moment, all the apps, because um, you have to have the app to play the game, it all works nicely and is smooth. But I guess as time goes on and they don't put anything into the app, whether at some point the game will become unplayable. It's always a concern with this uh, sort of thing where you cannot play that game if you don't have the app. So how much longer will they support it? We don't know. Cool. Some excellent games played there. Let's move on. All right. Special unadvertised Star Wars news next. 
uh, or Star Wars games news anyway. So late last year, Atomic Mass Games, who took on the Star Wars licenses for games such as Star Wars Legion and Star Wars Armada, uh, announced something new, which is called Star Wars Shatterpoint. Paul, I think you're very interested in this one. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, pre-orders have just been um, released um, in the last week or so. Uh, it's essentially a small skirmish game uh, for Star Wars that's kind of set, if you look at the scopes of the minis as well, in that kind of animated Clone Wars universe. Mm. So these are much quicker games um, over like your Legion and your Armada and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, Warcry the it's the star wars equivalent of Warcry. um the, the minis look brilliant uh i think the other nice thing is you can buy the corset and it gives you um four squads that you can sort of mix and match but but that's all you need to play the game and i think a lot of people's criticism when they pick up something like armada something like legion is actually what's in the box what they call the corset mm. isn't enough to play a full game of it Whereas this will give you the, the the full set. And when we say skirmish game, we mean smaller number of units. Still, ultimately, it's a fight that's that's being had. Um, you know, in some ways, I suppose you could call unmatched a skirmish game. Really, yeah, so it's it's sort yeah, of something of like that, right? Um, I think you get f- four minis in each of your squads. Typically, four per squad. Yeah, which yeah. is also good from a painting perspective because. <laughs> You're not on the hook for, you know, you're not on the hook for even even Blood Bowl's like 16 minis, you know, that's that's a lot for a team. Is it a completely sandbox thing? So is it just here's a roster of characters, build your squad of four, or does it try and create, you know, here's Ventress and and some some clones and uh, sorry, some um what are they? So I think I think some droids and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think as Paul's saying, in the core box, it's a little bit build your own Right. Um, but then the expansion packs are like ready-made teams. So like in the Warhammer Warcry, you'd have like the, you know, the 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 iron golems or whatever, and that is the team. Right. So you can get like the the Hello There expansion, which is um like which general- I have to say is a brilliant name for an expansion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. That's so good. There's the 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 hello there expansion, um, which is like the the general Kenobi kind of mini, and you can get like the Count Dooku expansion. Um, so yeah, it's and and it's like it's about like you know you'll be a player who's got like the Kenobi team, and I'll I'll fight my Kenobi team against your Dooku team. So it's in its infancy, but I think if it's well enough received, I think they're just going to keep just just kicking out. It could be tons. Though, team after team after team after team. I want to call dibs. If we do all get into this, I want to call dibs on the uh, the inevitable Jar Jar Binks expansion. <laughs> You're welcome to it. <laughs> um, I think what's a big plus about the core set is that in this particular one, um, from what Atomic Mass Games have kind of hinted at, is your your height. If you have the high ground, as it were, there are bonuses to be had. But in the core set, then there is a a huge amount of pre pre done terrain, so you need obviously will need assembling. But oh really? Think, okay. Yeah. So Loads which is brilliant terrain. because ah. 
Armada and X-Wing is absolutely fine because it's in space. So all you need is a black neoprene mat and suddenly it's really thematic, right? But when you play Legion, if you just play it on the table and they give you just a couple of little barriers to give you cover, mm. it, it, it's not really enough. And mm. some guys really go to town. Um, so one of the guys I play with regularly, Tim, he has created all sorts of different environments and playing on his table with all of his terrain it feels so much more thematic you feel a lot more involved with it right and um, and this is great that in the shatter point as i say you buy the core set i can't remember what it's about 130 at the moment is it oh is it oh it's quite expensive yeah, one, 120 yeah 120 but what's in the box is amazing i, I think when you consider the you know the amount of plastic minis and all the terrain you get um plus obviously all the other markers and measurings and dice and it's always in the grand scheme of things it's always good value for money it's it's the it's the the like the start collecting magazine that where you end up like building together a bloody <laughs> t-rex skeleton you know and in the first yeah. couple of copies they're dirt cheap my only criticism with this especially when we're delving into a world of you know a bit of austerity there isn't as much money flowing about for people to spend is they've made these minis slightly larger scale than star wars legion yeah i heard this um so you can't overlap so you know for people like it's not cool that is it that is not cool from the same company come on yeah and and i know the sculpts are different so Anywhere there are an overlap, the the sculpts of the stormtroopers, for instance, are different in this game because they are basing them on the Clone Wars animated series rather than the films. Yeah, but but I don't think that matters. I think they could have easily released this game mm. and scaled it the same as Legion, so you could use some of the the minis. I it, I think that's the when the pre orders came out. I nearly did it on day one and pre-ordered and I haven't yet. And it, it's a long, think, long time until they actually come out, right? They're not actually out until um, June. Really? Yeah. It's something that from a business point of view, you know why they're doing it. They don't basically just want to publish a set of rules and then people just use all their existing kits. Yeah. They're clever enough to know, you know, the people who are going to buy this are probably going to be people who, or, or lots of people are going to buy it, who are going to buy it, are people who have already engaged in something like Star Wars Legion, right? They don't want to not be able to sell hundreds of thousands of these packs of, the, packs of these things. So I understand it from a business point of view why they want to do that, but it just feels a bit a bit grotty. Maybe you can just pretend that they're not fully grown clones or something yeah. like that. But, but even if they released the core set as is or or they're just clones that are a bit further away <laughs> but yeah if they release the core set as is because you get the terrain you get the rules you get the dice you get your starter squads and then include it you know because the dice are different to legion the the distance markers um okay. for your troop movements different to legion so they could still release the core set but then maybe tie in you know, let, let's go back to friend of the podcast who still aren't sponsoring us yet, but Osprey Games, 
who produce loads of different like little wargaming manuals. Mm. But but they're just the books. You just need to go and get yourself minis. Yeah. And and there are a few companies that do that. So if you've got, you know, if you've got a set of minis, then you can apply them depending on how they look in different scenarios. You know, um Gaslands, they did something like that where they brought out a rule book and actually free downloadable tokens, or you can buy like custom printed ones but they just use your matchbox cars for like a mad max style okay yeah race and shoot so there are ways of doing this and yes star wars is huge at the moment and so they're clearly going to want to try and make as much money off it as possible but i don't know for the fan base maybe they should have just kind of there should have been something i think i wonder if they'll do some pre-order discounts on May the 4th. That's I, I'm not going to pay full price for this, but if they've got some... There is some, some good May things 4th, going on, yeah. I'll consider. Yeah. All right. Yeah. February the 10th, be with you. Let's move on. Okay, six games coming up now from the BGG hotness in our segment that we call Six of the Best. Neil, what have you got first? All right, so up first, I have gone for uh, Darkest Dungeon. So this was a Kickstarter. I think this has been a couple of years in the making because there was like a how-to-play video from a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. um, from Becca Scott. But um, I think it's only just getting getting copies coming to backers uh, imminently. But anyway, uh, this is a new release from Mythic Games, um, and it challenges you to conquer the depths of the Darkest Dungeon. Uh, in this, uh, so this is a board game adaptation uh, of a of a 2016 video game by Red Hook. So, uh, in this cooperative one to four player dungeon crawler, you play as heroes uh, recruited for a campaign consisting of a series of quests in increasingly dangerous dungeons until you enter the darkest dungeon uh, and face your final boss. Uh, the game is played in campaigns of eleven missions each. Um, to reach the darkest dungeon itself, the players will undertake three missions per threat level uh, to try and kind of vanquish the boss. Um, then uh, they'll be strong enough to face the horrors of the darkest dungeon and face the kind of the the, the conclusion of their little campaign. Um, I think this looks good. It's a lot of minis, um, but the downside of this, as we all know, is that that tends to drive up the price. Mm. Um, the only thing that really put me off in reading about this and and doing a little bit of research is that the reported playtime is 90 to 180 minutes per mission. Per mission, okay. And if you've got a campaign of 11 missions, that's, I don't know, that's just getting on the, that's getting on the long side for me. And a lot I think, of content. yeah, and I think that, for example, if we did that on a Wednesday night, I think people would lose traction. Um, and the only so 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 the kind of the the yin and yang of this for me is that it looks like a really really good beer and pretzels get together, roll some dice, don't get too crazy involved in it, but you know, right. kick the, kick the door down, kill the baddie. You know, feel good about life. Darkest Dungeon looks really, really exciting. Yeah, watch this space. I'm, I'm keen to, to see more. Thanks, Neil. Paul, what's your first one? Okay, so my first one is called Federation. Um, it's just uh, completing through Kickstarter. Uh, it is um, 
a 2022 game I I saw and the, the sort of tagline on BGG, which is why I picked it, was become the most influential and prestigious delegation of the Federation. And then there is very much, probably for copyright reasons, definitely not, but a <laughs> ripoff of the uh, Star Wars Senate. And so it immediately piqued my interest because I was like, oh, wow, this is like the best bit of Twilight Imperium, as we know, is the debating phase when you have your little council and you have your discussions <laughs> and i'm like so so this is clearly just having a having a discussion and uh debating laws and things like that what's what's not to love about that but unfortunately it's not that which made me feel kind of sad and then i realized it's a big weighty dry euro game so then i was uh <laughs> back on board um it's published by Explore 8 and on Kickstarter it was the deluxe version, but that was going for about £70. So right. probably when it hits retail, it'll be less than 70 I would imagine, because it'd be the non-Kickstarter version. Yeah. Um as I say, it it's a weighty Euro game where you are trying to um build up your influence of the Federation. I keep wanting to say of the Senate because it definitely looks like the Senate. Um, but you're trying to build up your influence and there's different tracks that you are going to be placing your workers on and, and trying to gain those influences. Um, and the board is split in two sort of sections, the left-hand side and the right-hand side section, depending on where you put your workers on each section. Right. Um, <laughs> different different things will happen yeah so actually there's no real kind of uh player interaction in okay. the way that like a a debating senate would happen but um the way the mechanics work is you kind of need to catch up like with the expansion for seven wonders you know if if you're not kind of keeping pace in whichever section someone else is going for yeah. and you're going to you're going to start getting left behind and and not be getting such good uh bonuses and rewards as you're going along you know the three of us like this style of game so maybe we need to give it a play mm. uh, and see how it works um it's unlike other euro games it's quite in your face colorful it it's a bit wonderland's war in that sense yeah it does look good i think but whereas some other bright, colourful games, I think this looks attractive on the on the board, um, and and I guess the way the bright colours are really indicate where you're going to be placing your workers and what areas you're going to be concentrating on. Cool, nice, 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 nice. Thanks, Paul. My first pick is Expeditions. So this is the very exciting sequel to Scythe from Stone My Games. Just announced in the last week. I don't quite get the sequel bit of it because I think that suggests there's a bit more story to Scythe uh, than there is. It's certainly not a sort of story-driven thing, really, although there's good kind of background information on, on the world that you're in. Uh, and I'm not seeing it's anything like a, a continuation of the Fenris campaign uh, which is a bit more story led. So I think we we should be thinking about this as more of just like the next story in the uh, the SGU the Scythe gaming universe. So here we've got a bit of deck building and exploration as you lead your expedition uh, to I feel like expedition. It's like when the name of the movie is in the movie uh, to investigate a fallen meteorite. As with Scythe, there's a, a 
and to a certain extent with Stonemaier as well, probably we can say generally the art is looking really good. Um, there are some cool minis that you get with it and you can expect the production value to be to be very high. The game is out in the summer and available for pre-order right now from Stonemaier's website. Uh, there's a couple of different levels, largely depending on if you want the metal mechs. We've still got mechs in this one. Um, uh, and it's ranging from about 69 to, sorry, from 69 to 99 pounds. Um, I'm sure if you're a Scythe fan like myself, you may well have already ordered this. I have not done that myself <laughs> yet, <laughs> but it is on the wish list. Uh, so let's see what happens. The the metal mechs look amazing. I know. Like I've upgraded other stuff inside. So if I was going to get this, you, you've got to go for the metal mechs. You'd have to. And, and I think... You know, when you talk about a follow-on, they've really kept that artwork theme have, running yeah. through. Yeah, you know, you could you could put the two side by side, and you know, you know that they're kind of linked in some way, right? Neil, what's your second pick? All right, so my second pick. Uh, I'm really glad that, that we talked about uh, both long shot and the really nasty horse racing game uh, so far, because my my second pick is Ready Set Bet. Um, so this is by John DeClaire uh, and published by AEG. Um, so this is their iteration of a horse racing game that you can bet on. This is a game for two to nine players um, with a playtime of just 45 to 60 minutes. It's got nine players because it's got eight slots available for like for players for betting. And then one person basically sits out each round to roll dice to 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 affect the outcome of the race, uh, and also be the caller. So Tom, where you talked about that um, that that day of playing it on 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 uh, on Skype over lockdown, I mean that's your job is literally to be like making up the gump as you come along and be like, oh, there's horse number two coming up and finally. Um, so that I imagine that in itself will be an absolute hoot. If you yeah. don't want to do that, they've got an app which uh, do, basically right. has someone doing that for you with right. audio. So you can connect it up to an iPad, you can connect it up to a phone screen if you wanted to, or cast it to a TV if you're playing it in party mode. And then what happens is you've then basically got this giant board which looks like a roulette gambling board. Um, and so as the players, you've got five coins or five you know five tokens that you can chuck down as bets at any time but once you occupy that space to so say it might be that that there's a space like there's like a win box on the side and there's a space for for you know horse number one two three four five six seven eight to win but you there's only one one chip slot available for horse number six to win and you know if you if you if you're the first one to put your chip in there then you're going to get five times your stake as as your odds if you're the second person to put your chip in it's you know it's whatever so um from what i've seen of people playing this this descends very very quickly into just like absolute carnage at the toe basically <laughs> because people are just throwing down bets there's people calling stuff out all the all the while kind of like captain sonar in real time the horse race is still going on so you haven't got time to to sit there and be like oh i wonder if i should do this or if i should do that because by the time you've made that call um it's all happened so it just it looks so much fun as a as a big kind of party style game definitely yeah. definitely, definitely on my wish list great choice Paul, what's your pick number two? Okay, my uh, pick number two is uh, Lofoten, 
I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. So this is a two-player game that is just coming out now. Um, if you want to know the designer and the artist, uh, Google them and look it up because I'm not going to try and pronounce their names. Um, but it's published by Pearl Games, which I can pronounce. Uh, it's a sort of 45-minute game, lowish complexity. Uh, and it's this this two-player trading game where you are trying to make the most of um, goods and commodities coming in to load up in your ships. Mm-hmm. It's got a really clever mechanic where the two players are sat facing each other and then you get this, your, your own little port of um, where you can put your ships in mm. and then on your turn, you rotate the port to either collect goods or deliver them back to yourself um, or move your port up and down the the track where the different goods are. You kind of you kind of have to look at an image to kind of get a, a better impression of this than my poor description. And then in your hand you have three cards, and and that is your hand for for your action turn. Mm. And the clever way it works is once you've played a card, and you pick up the next card you can only put it in the left-hand side or the right-hand side of your hand. And so your hand becomes a a fixed point where you can play your cards. And the reason why that's important is the card in the middle, you can play as a ship, and then the card on the left or the right depends on whether you can then rotate your little dock clockwise or anti-clockwise or move that dock left or right on the board so there's a lot of li- a lot of planning to work out you know even how you're going to hold your cards in your hand for for the benefits that you're going to have and and it's it's a 22 pound two player competitive game i think yeah i was going to say it's certainly ikea pricing isn't it it's... It, it looks great i i think the gameplay mechanics will be very interesting. I've I can't think of another game that kind of works in this way. Mm. Um which is good because you know there's a lot of games out there and you can compare them to other games. And I think this is a bit unique. I think it is a bit different. So thanks, Paul. My next pick is a game called Europa Universalis. So this is a game out this year from uh Oh dear. <laughs> Ivan Vettelson. I think that's right. Uh and Agear Games. Um, who's, work- who's the artist on this one, Tom? Uh, I didn't look at that, I'm not interested in that. <laughs> Working with Paradox Interact Interactive, who are the makers of the original strategy computer game, uh, which gives this game its title. Europa Universalis is a game where you're playing one of the great powers of Europe from late medieval times through to the early modern period of history. And it's you know all about kind of uh, expanding your realm, getting advisors, uh, preventing unrest, trading, and as you sort of expand and as you know um uh, overseas colonies and so on so you know if, i know there's a lot of people who do have some some problems um with uh games of this sort of colonial era i'm not somebody who has a problem with it myself i, I don't think just because something uh is is negative you shouldn't um uh, still explore the history that's something for another day um anyway 
I was a big fan of one of the iterations of the computer game of this, played that a, a, a lot. Uh, so I am really interested in this. It was Kickstarter actually all the way back in late 2019. And so it's arriving with its very patient backers now. Um, you can you can place pre-orders for it. I think it's been anticipated for uh, quite a while. must have had some delays. Uh, it's currently uh, for pre-order in the region of £100. I want to spend some more time looking at this game. I was just watching a video before we started recording about it. And that just piqued my interest again. It does look... Very, very cool. Uh, so I have a feeling it's going to go on my wish list. Can't really afford to do the pre-order at the moment for that that kind of level. But yeah, it's going on the wish list. Well, one final point on it, which I thought was uh, was quite an interesting nugget to kind of look back on where it came from, the computer game uh, side of things, is it has a solo mode. And having a game of this type that has a solo mode, I thought was was quite a cool nod to its origins. It looks so in-depth, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> as soon as I saw this on the game draft, I was like, well, I've got to save that for Tom. <laughs> Thanks so much. There is a <laughs> lot going on in this game. This game, I would imagine, to be playable, must have come up with some very neat mechanics to be able to track those kind of things. There seems to be a lot of cube placement and token placement on your player board and on the map itself to keep track of things so i think that's, that's possibly part of the way in which they've, they've dealt with that the the weight on bgg is 4.56 it Ooh, is yeah, it's chunky it's gonna be and a, a potential five hour playtime. so and what is it retailing at 100 pounds pre-order right now but it's retail with more like 130 100 pounds of money for what you get in the box though and how much has gone into creating those very in-depth rules and mechanics and and everything that you're going to get for this massive game? Hundred pounds is good. Yeah, I uh, yeah, yes, it is. I think I didn't fancy trawling through the Kickstarter comments of people whinging about how long it's taken, but I'm sure the complexity of that has led to to some of those delays. I would have thought yeah. of them just working out the the kinks. So six really top choices again there, I think. Thanks, guys. So that was six of the best. Let's move on to something else. Okay, part three of our game recommendations at different player counts. We've handled the bigger player counts. So now on to what must be one of the most common uh, player counts, I would think, four players. There's a lot of choice here, and I think we all struggled with this one a bit. Paul, why don't you start us off with your number three? Okay. This was a list that was changing right up until recording. I have to say <laughs> it's it's definitely been the hardest one. There are so many games out there that are brilliant at four players. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I've really struggled picking. So my number three for the best at four players is Explorers of the North Sea. It is the game I played most last year uh, alongside uh, Undaunted Normandy. It's a game I've had so much fun with. It's such a simple action movement game, Mm -hmm. but it's really tactical. What I love about playing it four-player over two- and three-player is the the board and that that map that tableau you're building of of all the little norse islands 
fills up a lot quicker. But especially when I've played it, say, two or even three player, everyone can kind of go off and do their own thing. So as you're revealing tiles and there's bandits that you might want to attack or animals that you want to bring back to your longhouse, as you go through all of this, two and three players there can be a bit where you're kind of just off doing your own thing and yeah. and that works really well that that is a brilliant nice puzzle mechanic but as soon as you get four players then you're kind of vying for each other's resources a bit more and so it it adds a lot more player interaction so that's why this game i think works very well at uh, four player and which is why it's number three on my list yeah, I think it's a great choice. A lot, lot of really good things about it. Uh, and not least the thing that I love about all those tile placing games where you're building the world around you as you go through the game. Yeah, and the, the artwork on those games is fantastic. All of those, of all of those series, I think is great. Neil, what's your number three? So I imagine that both of you would have been able to call this um, as, as appearing in my top three, but I've gone for Root in at three. Um, just because there's not many times with the right four player group that I wouldn't not want to play this. Um, we've got, uh, we've got a few friends in a few different groups who don't like the game, which is a shame because then it means that it doesn't get played as much as certainly Tom, I think you or I would like it or you like it, but I don't think you're as like fizzing to get it out each time. Um, I think the, the problem when we've kind of talked about it before is, Sometimes at four players, I think someone can get left behind a bit too much. Okay. Yeah, but it's root, it's so good. It's the artwork, <laughs> it's the factions, it's the is the expansions, completely throwing out everything I said earlier on about not liking expansions. I don't like expansions that don't add to something, but but just by giving the uh I thought the, you were gonna narrow that even further. I don't like expansions that are not root expansions. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> basically. Are you an expansion? Yes, I don't like you. Are you a root expansion? Yes, you're in. Take my money. Um, and the reason that I've picked this at four is that that you know it's it's another example where four is the best player count, right? So you can play with fewer players, you can play with only three factions, you can play with the mechanical options. The one thing we've never done is played it at a higher player count and had five actual players. I think mm-hmm. I'd be I'd definitely be interested in giving that a go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's I think I think it um that's just another good reason why I think it works so well at that at that exact player count. I think it is a four player game for me. It is only a four player game. I really enjoy this game. It's a really good choice. The only reason it is not featuring on my list is because I was certain that you were going to choose it. <laughs> okay, great. Um my number 3 is the old classic Catan. Oh, so Settlers of Catan I think is a game that I've gone in and out of how much I, I enjoy this game. And I, I am not brilliant at it. It I must have played 20 games before I won this game. It's not something that for whatever reason came naturally to me. And I think that it, it there are some things that can be a bit frustrating, but it, it is a, a real classic of the ball game hobby, right? One of those first that came out that, that you could say it was a forefather of the hobby of where we are now 
uh, a really well-known game. So I'm not going to talk too much about it, but the reason, one of the reasons why I picked it is because I think it is best at four, right? Um, I think there Definitely. are ways of being able to play this uh, with fewer players. Um, uh, there are, particularly if you're using like the Catan app, there's like AI that you can put in there. And you can also play this with more, with the expansions to five and six. But actually, I think this is this is the classic four-player board game, I think. So that's my number three, Catan. Paul, what was your number two? Okay, I had a lot of trouble with my number two today. Um, I think there are, and actually this, like I was absolutely set on my number one. I think my number three was kind of in place, and I did, but I don't know why I, I sort of flipped back and forth uh, for number two. But I, I've gone with uh, Orleans as ah, my okay. number two. Mm. I, I think, again, it lends itself to having that four-player count rather than the lower count the the bag drafting mechanism works really well there's so much going on with what you're doing on the map or whether you're taking those little tokens and um removing them from the game and but putting them over to that other board for your your points i i love playing this game this is you know i know what neil was saying about root but i would pick this every single day of the week to have a have a game of very good. Very good. I yeah, good I think I think I think I agree. I think it might appear on the three player list for me, just because there's not a huge amount of player interaction other than um, you know, bidding up for you know, not bidding up, but you know, vying for places on the city map. Yeah. And I think just by having that fourth player, I think sometimes it gets a little slow. But that's everyone, everyone's got their own preference on that. Thanks, Paul. Okay, now what's your second favourite then? All right, so my number two is a big one. Um, for me, that is going to be Nemesis. Okay. Um, I've been banging on about this a fair bit on the podcast lately, but I think it plays best at four players. I think that um, to play the game well, you want to be kind of loosely sticking together. Yeah. I think that at three players, you can often end up with two sticking together and one going a bit kamikaze and dying. So I think by having four... It's usually me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever got to the end of a game of Nemesis. Aww. I think by having four players, you can then explore as two twos. Um, I think that works really, really nicely. Um, and yeah, just all of the other stuff that we've covered on the podcast about, you know, great looking board, great minis, good fun game, co-op, blah, 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 blah. Really good. Yeah, great choice. Great choice. I think Nemesis would rate a lot higher if I could just make it to the end of a game. I'm not talking about winning. <laughs> I'm just talking about not when you dying. play with uh, with Tom's house rules, then no, nobody dies ever. <laughs> Even with Tom's house rules, I always seem to die. <laughs> I tell you what, we did do last time we played this was um, Tom house ruled himself as not dying, <laughs> and then I said, uh, "Screw it!" When the time came, and I did die. But for the first time, we uh, we we did the whole like the the, the first player out takes over as the aliens, and that was yeah. good. That was really really good fun. It wasn't as it wasn't that difficult. So Paul, you just you just cut out the event cards, and you sack off a load of like the basically the end of round stuff, and then the cards that the the alien player then gets are basically the event cards and actions and 
um, alien attacks kind of all rolled into one. It's good. So that sounds amazing because then when I die, as I invariably do very, very quickly in this game, I can then play as the aliens and with my ineptitude in this game, then you guys are guaranteed a win. Guaranteed a win. Right? <laughs> it uh, it was really good to do. It did feel like it, it upped the pressure though because you had so much more control over what's happening whereas a bit of randomness uh, in it before. Yeah, um, it's only, it's only not... as much as the cards you draw though. Yeah, you can do that from the off though. You can play this game like six player in theory that you have your five characters and you have somebody doing the alien all the way through. That'd be great. We should do that. <laughs> All right. My second favorite is June Imperium. Yeah. I Got think this is a great game. I think we've maybe even gone at least two or three podcasts without mentioning it. So it's high time it came back and uh and, and got pretty near the top of the list loads of really cool mechanics in it it is a bit of a mix of things going on a bit of combat primarily work placement little bit of deck building absolutely love it it's a no question i would play it every time with four yeah. players i would play it every single time uh there's an option to be able to do so 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 yeah that's my number two pick June Imperium. Excellent choice. Paul, what is your number one, your favourite game to play at four players? So, after saying I really struggled with picking these games, this one actually was was in from the start. Was it? Um, <laughs> and it's a good thing you mentioned, maybe we've not talked about it enough over a couple of episodes on the podcast, so we can talk about it again my number one is June Imperium. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, don't be. Because we can talk about June Imperium more. And the reason why it's got to be a four-player game is all of the things we love about a worker placement mm-hmm. of that frustration that you can't get to the the right resources and you know you can't you can't put your worker where you need him to. Yeah. It is it's just amplified when you play it at four. Definitely. It, it's Definitely. a game, you know, I mean, it says one to four players. No, it's it's just a four-player game. It's, it's the only player count you should, you know, although I love the game, quite happily play it at three players. <laughs> but I was going to say, it's still good at three for me. It is good at three. It is by far one of my favourite, I mean, definitely my favourite game of four players, but one of my favourite games of all time. Mm. I think it just works so nicely and it's such a brilliant game. And that's why it's number one for me. Neil, what is your number one? If you say June, we've got got the trio. <laughs> uh, so Hungry Hippos, it just doesn't work in any other player account. Um, well, you, I tell you, can... you ask my daughter, she's very happy to control two at the same time. I was going to say, you can do it two player and have two each. Um, but yeah, my number one, is is tough and 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 I'll say a little bit in in the honourable mentions, but uh, I've gone for Brass Birmingham. Yeah, just yeah, 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 yeah. A great game, but it gets that little bit more thinky at four players because 
the cities fill up quicker, the link title. Like I think in low player counts, you can win the game based purely on on you know getting getting loads and loads of link tiles out. Whereas mm. knowing when to take a link and where to place them, I think a, a higher player count um, really really comes into its own. So yeah. I, it does try and shut off certain parts of the map as well, which you know is fine to try and reduce it. But it seems a bit of a shame, right? Yeah, I think uh, I think the problem with brass at you know those lower player counts because you do shut off some of those uh, uh, trading cities hmm. is that you then get a load of cards for cities like up in the north, and you're almost like, well, yeah, there's there's no point in having these. You know, I've kind of hamstrung myself because you know even if i can build in all of these cities up here if no one else is doing it i'm then gonna have to put in so many resources to put in those link tiles to put in the canals and the trains to to get down towards you know those other those other places to to try and trade my wares Mm. yeah but brass is amazing maybe i need to rethink my list (laughs) (laughs) we quite easily all could have created a a list of 10 so we might have a very long honorable mentions section in a second tom what was your number one my number one neil is flam rouge now i'm having this as flam rouge with the companion app yeah i think if it doesn't have it it's not in my top three but when you're playing this and you can put a campaign together, and this is partly just related to, as can so often be the case, right, is that played a really good game of this recently, a four-race tour that the four of us played and just loved it. It was really, really fun. There were lots of kind of laughs and uh, and good competition about, you know, how much uh, exhaustion everyone was getting and, and the impact of that and, you know, stupid stuff in some ways that was going on that the person who had the most exhaustion seemed to still continue to be able <laughs> to be near the bloody front of the race. But it was really, really good. So it was, I was hard say it was almost four people. It was the, out of four people, there were almost three very distinct strategies, right? Yeah, I think there is there is scope to be able to do that. I don't know what the best strategy is in that game. I sort of feel it's about timing it right, and then um, and then just all, going all hell for leather, leather with your, um, your 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 big cards. But that doesn't seem to be the case. I have played against people several times <laughs> where they just kind of go from it, go for it from the off. And it seems to work out sometimes. Anyway, so that's that's uh, the game that is at the top of my list. Um, there is the ability to be able to play it with more players. I have the expansion that allows you to play up to six, but I actually think it gets too crowded. Um, that there's too much. There's too many bikes. You'd definitely be wasting spaces on cards, right? With the the, the grid yeah. filling up. Yeah, and there, there is a. An expansion coming out for Flamrouge this year, which adds the campaign element a little bit, like we've seen this in this last year with with Heat. Pe- oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> with what game, Tom? With Heat Pedal to the Metal, that it's added that campaign element, and they are doing this for Flamrouge this year in the next um, in the next few few months, I think. So I'll be really intrigued to see what that does. So yeah, that's that's the number one. Right, let's have a look at some honourable mentions. Let's try and just, if we can, do one each. I've got two. 
but I'm hoping one of you guys, <laughs> can, one of you guys is going to mention one of them. So uh, let's try and just do one each. Uh, let's continue with our order that we've got. Paul, what's your your first? Or okay. sorry, what is your honourable mention? My my honourable mention, apart from Stone Age. Um, <laughs> which just just as it's come up um stone age is a great four-player game um and if you are looking to get into a worker placement game it's a really good place it's, it's a really good way to get started um I, I think i prefer the complexity of some of the others which is why i brought them out but honorable mention goes to to that but that wasn't my honorable mention sorry i got sidetracked on that so my honorable that's the mention, one you're not mentioning okay i'm so. not mentioning stone age but you good. should definitely play it and it works okay. perfectly at four players good um so my actual honorable mention and i know i talk about it a lot and i know it's got its criticism but it is discworld <laughs> i think you say it's got its criticism, you mean me, don't you? Yeah, it's got its Tom. <laughs> no, and, and uh, you know, I think other people in the community, I'm a massive fan. Um, I, I'm not a, a very big reader, but I've actually read everything. Yeah, it's quite short, really, aren't you? Yeah. Um, I've read every single Discworld book, and so that that lore and the, the background of it, 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 it really sparks for me, and you know, Neil and I have talked, we've we've played so many games of this. But of four players, just with all of those other minions on the board, it, it just the the chaos ramps up, the the player interaction, the you know, it it just that is the ideal player account for it. It's one of my favorite games. It was really tough leaving it off the list. Um but I guess part of the reason for for my list as well is thinking of who I'm playing with regularly and who I'm going to play four player games with and I know Tom you're you're a great sport and if if we dragged it out for a for a games night I know you'll play it but uh, you know I, I, I'm also aware you'd rather me. play other things listen to but me. but yeah Discworld is is fantastic so so that's my honorable mention great uh Neil any six that you want to mention yeah, well, so again, you know, I I thought right, well, let's just do one honourable mention, mm-hmm. um, and in that thought process, I basically thought that that it, it really just includes any heavy Euro game, right? Like they're pretty much all four players. They're, okay. they're you know, you know what I mean? Like they 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 they're, they're all a bit of a muchness. Um, not to down downplay them, I I thought about my honourable mention being Everdell because. One of the criticisms of Everdell, a lower player count, is that a market doesn't really do much moving, whereas at four players that that chugs along quite nicely. But I had Everdell well, on my list for a while, definitely. Yeah, I thought, but you only get one honourable mention, so it can't be Everdell for the reasons that I gave. Um, <laughs> I thought about, you know, I thought about maybe Art like Arnak again is kind of up there with you with your June Imperiums, but I didn't want to give Arnak as my honourable mention. Um, I thought about one of the big Vital Lacerdas, you know, maybe maybe Lisboa or something. But again, I didn't want to waste my honourable mention with that. So um, I've ended up going for Gaia Project, um, mostly despite you people because you have no taste. Um, but again, it's 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 in that kind of yeah, 
I think people look at it as we've said on the on the podcast before and and think that it's terraforming Mars but zoomed out, but it is more of like a of a sort of a Euro-y game. Um, but one of the things that I love about it most is that mechanic where you power up um power plants that are within two, you know, two yep. two hexes of 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 your stuff that's going on. And in lower player counts, you just don't get that. And the developing of power in Gaia projects is so important and it lets you do so many more like fun and cool actions that the more the higher the player count, the more those actions trigger, um, the more that goes on. So uh, in the end, that was the one that I settled on for my honourable mention. Okay, good. Good uh, 12 games mentioned there, Neil. Very good. <laughs> no, I only picked one. Your, your one honourable mention. Yeah. Uh, so the one, neither, neither of you did any, uh, any of the two, either <laughs> of the two, uh, unfortunately. So I'm not going to mention pandemic and the pandemic system generally. I do think that is, a, again, in the realm of, Catan, but absolute classic game that enjoyed yeah. a huge amount. And you could rope all the legacy games of uh, Pandemic into that as well. That's what I'm not mentioning. What I am going to mention is Quacks of Quedlinburg, is that yes. I think yeah. this is just another modern classic that I think is best at four. You can play at five, but I actually think it slows down a little bit then. I think the expansion that gives you that fifth player board is fine and it's great and it's fantastic to be able to open that up to play at that, that those numbers um but it is really best at four so quacks is the honorable mention that i am gonna say gosh that was difficult but some great great games we've mentioned there i think i feel like we've just reeled off some of our favorite games of the last few few years and that is because it is just that player count right so anyway, halfway through our rundown now. So on to the three-player games next episode. Let's look forward to that. That's the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We do appreciate it. And the kind comments our listener has made uh, about uh, the, the podcast to us and the interaction we get on social media. If you are interested in social media, that's your thing. We do post pretty regularly on Instagram and Twitter. Plus, you can reach us if you would like at I'm having my one at gmail.com. Have a great time playing any ball games you may have going on in this next week or so. Uh, to the next episode, we've been having my one and we hope you have yours too. I'm having my one.